0: Thanks for joining us at First Baptist of Woodlawn. Our mission at Woodlawn is to grow, serve, and reach others together. Our vision at Woodlawn is to impact our regional communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ through small groups, corporate worship and missions, and evangelism. Now, today's sermon. Good morning. How are we? Good. All right. I heard a couple of mumbles. Good start. Hey, if you got your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin this morning. Uh, We'll be in a few different places, but we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It is a joy for me to be able to fill the pulpit uh, this morning. I've been excited about this all week, even though what we're going to talk about this morning is a hard saying. Uh, there's a few of those in the Bible. There's a few things that, that we read and they are more than difficult to understand. A lot of times they're, they're challenging to accept and they're challenging to surrender to. And this uh, topic that we're going to speak about this morning and this issue uh, is maybe at the top of the list on that. Every once in a while, you'll read something in Scripture uh, that and it, it is just it's hard to take that in. And, and Paul specifically, has a tendency to be the one that delivers that message for us. He says something in Romans 5 3 that is so countercultural, it's not even funny. The idea of what he says in Romans 5 3 is crazy to those who do not have a biblical worldview. You should be able to finish this for me. He simply says, Rejoice in suffering. Can you think of something more countercultural? Can you think of something more odd? than saying to rejoice in suffering. So I'm supposed to find joy. I'm supposed to take joy in suffering. Well, the answer is, yeah, you're supposed to. Now, how do we do that? That's what we're going to dive in this morning. But we need to start, we need to lay a little bit of groundwork. Let's get a little bit of foundation uh, laid down. What am I going to mean when I say suffering this morning. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to hear me use the word suffering, struggling, affliction, trials, tribulation. I'm talking about the same thing. Now, if we really wanted to dive into the different meanings of those words, could we really pick those apart and find some differences? Yes. But this morning for the sake of this message, I'm going to use all of those for the same thing, because I think the Bible actually teaches there's a couple different types of uh, suffering. I think we could honestly narrow them down to two different categories, godly and ungodly types of suffering. Let me read to you real quick out of 1 Peter, because he speaks exactly to this point. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 15-16, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So, there in 1 Peter, we see a difference there. We see ungodly suffering. So, if you're suffering, if you're having a bad day because you just killed somebody, tough, okay? That's the type of suffering we don't want. Or if, you're, if you just robbed from somebody and, and you're, you're feeling kind of down about how you just robbed from somebody and you got caught, that, tough, okay? But here's the way I think the Bible really teaches this is the ungodly way of suffering is a type of suffering that a person will experience in ultimately running away from God. This is suffering that takes place apart from God. And here's what this person is going to really struggle with and suffer through. They're going to, their suffering is going to, it's going to involve a sense of unfulfillment. It's like they're going to be trying to eat, but they can never get their fill. They're going to be trying to drink, but they can never get their fill. They're never going to be fulfilled in this. There's no comfort for them to be found, okay? Although they're going to search for it, it's going to be an endless search for comfort. What they don't realize is, is the one that they are rebelling and running away from is the only one that can provide that type of comfort. That's the only one that can fulfill them. So what about godly suffering? Well, there's a couple different things to talk about with that. Godly suffering, honestly, is just suffering that is involved in following Jesus. This can be mental suffering. This can be spiritual. This can even be physical. It can be physical. Something that we are not at the point yet that we're experiencing. Praise God. It's a grace of God. We are not experiencing the physical Persecution and suffering for the name of Christ that many of our brothers and sisters are experiencing on a daily basis in other parts of the globe. I would love to be able to say, breathe easy, it's not gonna happen here. But but sadly I I think it will eventually. I think it will eventually. So we're gonna have some physical suffering that might take place. Uh, And this could be because of what you're doing. This is actually following Christ. You are doing things. You're living your life in the name of Christ, and you are taking physical punishment. It could be mental. Listen, there are are things that ungodly people or lost people will suffer with, and godly people suffer with, that are the same exact thing. I'll give you an exact example. Depression and anxiety. If you're suffering and struggling with those, both of those, they go across bounds. Lost and unlost are going to suffer through that. Maybe something you're suffering with or struggling with is unbelief. Maybe God saved you years ago, and you're struggling for assurance. Okay, so bottom line is this, guys. Being a Christian does not mean, and being a follower of Christ does not mean that we do not have sufferings. It does not mean that we have struggles. And here's something that always concerns me a lot. A lot of people that I run across they see suffering and struggling in their life as a cause of great concern about their faith. And I want to say something this morning. I think we need less people concerned about their faith because of the suffering that they're taking on. I think we need more people looking an honest life at their life, taking an honest look at their life and their faith and asking the question, why am I not suffering more? Why am I not struggling more? Because of the sake of Christ. Basically, let me tell you this. If you don't want to suffer and struggle in a godly way, do not be obedient to Jesus. Don't follow the Great Commission. Don't be active in discipling someone or being discipled yourself. Don't don't be active. You, you You can be that real typical church member type person. You can be that person and avoid suffering and struggling. But listen, God has not called us to that kind of a life. Another good question to ask, what's God's role in suffering? What is is God's role in suffering? Because here's the thing, and there's believers that will believe this. There are many people out there that believe that God plays no role in our suffering. Let me tell you something, that sounds good to an extent, but let me tell you this, the idea that the suffering and the struggling and the trials and the tribulations that we will experience on this life, the idea that our God has no control over that is a frightening idea think about that. The the things that you are struggling with, the things you're suffering with, that the God of all creation has no control, has no say in any of that. That's a frightening concept. And it's not the truth. That's not the reality of what we see in the scripture. We see a God that is sovereign, meaning he is in control. He is causing things to take place. He is allowing things to take place. So keep these questions in your mind. And here's what we're just simply going to do. We're going to take a little walk through the word. We're going to let God describe what suffering is, because here's what I believe. Listen close. I believe that when we are trusting in Christ, and I mean really trusting in Christ, I believe that in this life and into eternity, we can suffer well. There is a blessing to be found within that. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10 reads as this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort stop there for just a moment. So the first thing that we see here in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is that God comforts those who are struggling. God comforts those. So if that's where we start out, if that's enough, if that's all we get out of this, that's enough that we receive comfort from God. So we need to begin there. I think that's a good place to begin, that God is a loving Father, that God is there to comfort us. The word that is used there for comfort is paraclete which means one who comes alongside to help. Any of you all that have studied a little bit of Greek and know that word a little more, you also know that that is another word for the name of the Holy Spirit, a helper, one who comes alongside to help. And the idea there is that God doesn't magically wave a wand and the things that we are struggling with or suffering with disappear but he actually comes alongside us and helps us with his presence, with his word, with the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says there about why we receive comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God is incredible. He he is such an incredible designer in how he does things. Just when you think that He's given enough, He goes above and beyond our expectations. God doesn't just provide comfort to you when you're struggling or suffering. He even has a greater purpose for that. It's for you who have been comforted to actually go out and comfort others. This is completely consistent with who we see God being in Scripture. God gives us love, not so that, just so that we can experience love, but so that we can do what? We can then go out and love Others. God forgives us so we, not just so we can experience forgiveness, so that we can walk. We can go and forgive. God is gracious to us so that what? So that we can go and be gracious to others. God doesn't just comfort us so that it can end there, it's so that we can go out and then comfort others. And we talk about the design in that. Here's one of the reasons why I think that is such a cool, ingenious design. Because when you're struggling or you're suffering, let's be honest. Let's be real, in those moments of suffering and struggling, it is really easy for us to become very self-centered and self-focused. And don't you think that we do not have an enemy, Satan, who absolutely loves that, he wants to take advantage of that, he wants to work that for his good or for his evil and for our bad. So think about this, we're struggling, we're suffering, God gives us comfort, he gives us something from his word. We take that comfort, we get our eyes up, we begin to look around, we see someone else who may be struggling with the same thing. Guess what happens as we go and we give comfort to that other person? Where do our eyes go? Where do our hearts go? They go off of ourselves and they go on to someone else, which is exactly the model of Jesus Christ, is to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes up onto where Jesus is, to where he wants to go. That's what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to what? To serve others. So I believe God's design in this, in in comforting us to comfort others, is to help us not become just entrenched in our own suffering and our own struggling as as rough as it can be. Now, this type of struggling, when he says at the end there, he says it's for your comfort with which you experience when you patiently endure. So what's the ticket? What's the price of, of receiving this comfort? It's for you to patiently endure patiently endure. The visual for this is like a marathon runner. Now listen, I I enjoy to a certain extent exercising, trying to, to do as much as I can each week, which is not that much, but I'll tell you one thing I do not enjoy doing. I used to enjoy it a little bit is running, especially long distances. That does not happen a whole lot these days. In fact, if you see me running, if you see me jogging, it's a really good idea to take a look behind me to see what's chasing me. There's no telling what it could be, okay? I I don't run a whole lot, but that's the idea is you're a a marathon runner that is just gritting it for 26.2 miles. I mean, you're tired, you're weary, you want to quit. I've never ran a marathon before, but I can imagine that people that have ran a marathon, there's been at least some point during that 26.2 miles. I don't even want to drive 26.2 miles, but there's got to be a moment during that 26.2 miles where the person's like, I think I'd kind of like to stop. I think I'd maybe consider stopping on this. It's patiently enduring. You continue to go forward. Listen, patiently enduring, receiving the comfort of God. It's like being a marathon runner. It's not like sitting in a dentist chair where you just bear it. You sit there and you just you, just, you can't wait for it to, to be over. It's you are actively pushing forward, not just waiting for the clock to run out, not just waiting for it to be over. Moving on. Verses 8 and 9 reads this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I want to focus in on something just for a moment, because if, if you're not careful, you'll completely miss this. Notice how he starts off in, in verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, do you see what Paul is doing there? He is drawing attention. He is shining a spotlight on the suffering. I mean, he literally says it. Hey, we don't want you to be unaware of the suffering. And he had already talked about it. Okay. And I think there's a huge lesson in this. And this is another hard lesson is that we cannot hide our struggles and our sufferings from people. Now, let me, let me, let me flesh that out. Let me unpack that just a little bit. Listen, there's a time, there's a place, and there are people. Probably not at Walmart. No offense to any Walmart people. If you're checking out and you're getting your stuff and the person says, How, how's your day going? I don't know if that's a time to say, thank goodness you asked. Let me tell you what. I am struggling with lust today. It's just a it's a rough day. The response you would get from that person, who knows? It'd probably be like, are you struggling with it now? Um, <laughs> listen, there's a time... There's a people, this is a place, this is why godly community is so important. This is why we need people in our lives. We need men. Men need men. Women need women in their lives to speak into their lives, to be truthful, to create safe spaces for this kind of stuff to be drug out. Remember, there is such a wide range of suffering and struggling, a lot of which involves sin. And again, this is what we like to do. We like to take sin and we like to put it in a closet. We like to shut the lights off. We like to shut the door. And we like to cuddle up with it sometimes and try to hide it. Listen to me. If you are struggling, if you have suffering, especially that are directly related to sin. The last thing you need to do is hide that. Because what you're doing, you're putting it in the dark. Here's what the Bible teaches. I believe clearly about our struggles, especially with our sin struggles. We don't hide those things. We, we don't bury it down in the basement. We, we drag those things out into the light. We get some brothers or we get some good sisters. We drag that thing out into the light. And if it's sin, we kill it. We kill it together. We put that thing to death. We drag it out. We pray over it. We hold each other accountable. Again, this is why community, these are why these relationships are absolutely important. Listen, if you don't have that kind of relationship, you need to be prayerfully considering that. I'm serious. You need to be prayerfully considering that. If you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't need somebody like that. I don't need somebody to speak into my life like that. I don't need to be speaking into somebody else's life like that. Listen to me. You are playing right into the enemy's hands. You have just taken his playbook and you're running with it. We need people that we can talk to about that. We need people that we develop trust with. We develop those relationships with. Paul knew it. Think think about what he, think of the situation he's in here. He's struggling. Look Look at the way that he describes it. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, he he continues on. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. So how bad a shape was he in? Most likely physically, most likely mentally, even spiritually. He was in such a bad place, he felt like he'd received a life sentence, that, that he was on the brink of death, that death was going to come for him at any moment don't miss out on the spiritual maturity of Paul. Here's what I believe. I believe the reason why he was so burdened, why he felt this pressure was because he knew how important his earthly ministry was. This was, I believe, his spiritual struggle that he had. Is that he knew there was work to be done. He knew that God had had uh, more things for him uh, to accomplish in his ministry. He, 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 This was a constant battle with Paul to go and be with Christ or stay. We have to be able to make our struggles known to people, our suffering known to people so that they can walk alongside us. In verses 9 and 10, we see the first real product of suffering. That's right, God has a purpose in suffering. Can you imagine that God has a purpose, that suffering actually has a purpose? And guess what? It's for more than our discomfort. And that's really good news. Look at what he says in 9 and 10 again. He says, we felt that we had received the the sentence of death, uh, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 9 is where we will conclude on that. So why did God bring this affliction upon Paul? Was it to punish him? No. Was it because he had no control over that affliction and it was out of God's hands? You know, he's back here like, oh, man, I wish I could help, but I can't. No. Paul says, here's why. God brought this affliction. He allowed this affliction to take place so that we would rely more on him than ourselves. Again, when we struggle and suffer, a lot of times, where does our eyes and our hearts go to ourselves? And not that we don't need to to do that from time to time, but it is really easy to become very self-centered in that. And what happens when when we do that, when our eyes go on ourselves, guess what? We begin to rely on ourselves more. We begin to um, struggle in humility. We begin to think that we are far better than what we are. I I will never forget, it's been years ago, we were playing in a church league volleyball tournament that went a couple months. Uh, And listen, our team was less than stellar. Just add less than stellar, that's all I can I can say. And there's one player, I'm not going to say his name because I think a few people might know him and I'm really tempted to. But uh, Honestly, he used to drive us crazy because we were not that good and, and I, he didn't get that. And, and on a sense, that's good. He encouraged us kind of, but here's what he would always do. We would be in a game and anytime there was a glimmer of hope, like literally one of our people would make contact with the ball, there was like a glimmer of hope or we got a point, he would get so fired up, and, and, and he'd always say the same thing. he said, come on guys, we got this. We got this. And I'm thinking, man, that, that makes me feel good. That encourages me. But brother, we don't have this. We, we, we do not have this. And here's what would always happen. Right after he would say that, he'd get real pumped up, and, and he would be really reliant on himself and, and his abilities and our abilities. Guess what? We would do what we typically did. We would falter very badly. Listen, for, for our team to win a game that year, we needed the help of God. God would have literally had to come down and, and serve out for us because it was, it was unbelievably bad. We can't be reliant upon ourselves. Now, there are some things we need to be responsible for, we need to, to be committed to. People need to be able to depend on us. But man, when it comes down to, when it comes down to these spiritual battles that we're going to face, Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is who we follow. Our strength is in Jesus. That's who our strength is in. And this makes sense, okay? This idea of hard times and struggles and suffering causing us to rely on someone more. Think about this. Think about when you were a child. Did you rely more on your mom or dad when you were healthy or when you came down with the flu? You got sick, right? Everybody got sick. But you relied on them then, didn't you? Bring me soup. Bring me a bowl. Bring me something. You become very reliant on them. Some of you and I said, bring me a bowl. That, that hit home on, on some of you. That that, that cut deep. But seriously, we, we rely more on people when we are in greater need, correct? It's the same way with God. And we're not called, as followers of Christ, we're not called to be these christian superheroes we're called to be reliant one of my favorite lines on that god doesn't need us to be awesome he's awesome we just need to be faithful that's all we have to do in this is be faithful in him so who is this god that we are to rely on who's this god that paul relied on well he gave you a really good glimpse because he doesn't just say that uh, this was to make us rely on ourselves but on god He, he even gives us a little reminder of who this god is who raises the dead. You want to rely on somebody, rely on someone who's got the power to raise the dead. Jesus demonstrated this on earth. This is why he would go up to dead people and he'd say, stop it. Come to life. And they'd come to life. And Paul is even foreshadowing the resurrection that is to come. Something else Paul does here that I really love when he says... um, in verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope. Listen to that. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul is expressing hope in God's provision for past, present, and future. In one verse, he just gave you the entire series of Back to the Future movies. In one, in one verse, he just hit them all. That God has taken care of me in the past, He has carried me through tough times. He has come alongside me in the past. He's doing it now. He's with me now. That's why I'm in prison singing hymns. And he's going to continue to deliver me in the future. This is an unbelievable amount of hope that we see here. And it's an unbelievable amount of comfort. Okay, And this is what comes when we rely, when we trust on God, not on ourselves when these sufferings come. And they will come. Turn to First Peter, if you would. First Peter, not too far away, from there. First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. We're going to look at another um, purpose that God uses and God has over suffering and struggling within our lives. In First Peter, chapter one, verse six and seven says this after. Paul has just gotten done talking about God's power and and how He is guarding our faith and salvation and just these unbelievable things. He's just talked about this living hope that we have in Jesus. It's incredible. He he flips the script a little bit in verse 6. Listen to this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that... The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know of many people that enjoy taking tests. There's a few people. You're probably out there. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to raise your hand because that might be kind of embarrassing but I know a lot of people that enjoy when the test is, is over. And listen, that's when the real results come in. That's when the real product takes place is after the test is over. And, and here we see Peter talking about how suffering and struggling and trials and tribulations, that God actually uses those to test our faith With a very important purpose of ultimately proving that that faith to be genuine. Notice what he says right in the beginning there in verse six when he says, In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary. That is a very important word that we cannot gloss past. We cannot go past that quickly. Because to the person that's maybe thinking, You know, I understand God's all powerful. I know that God is everywhere, He's in everything but I just, my God, my God does not deal in suffering. That is, that's not my God. Again, you, you better hope your God deals in suffering. If he doesn't deal in suffering, you are in a ton of trouble. This verse, I believe, completely dispels the idea that God is not involved and active in suffering and struggling because it simply says here, if necessary. That's huge. And Here's what that means. If it's necessary... God's going to allow some suffering. God's going to allow some struggling. Because here's the thing, and even saying that, I, I can hear it coming out of my mouth and I know some people are probably hearing that thinking, oh, that just doesn't sound right. But here's the thing, God is not concerned about our wants. God is concerned about our needs, okay? Because He is a far better Father than we could ever dream to be. We've got some good parents. We've got some good fathers. We've got some good mothers good grandparents. How many many times have you heard this or said this to your child or grandchild? They say, I want, I want, I want. You'll say something along the lines of this. I don't care what you want. I care what you need because good parents are concerned about the children's needs, right? Absolutely. God is concerned. God's desire is to serve our needs. Not our wants and desires. Now the cool thing is, another sermon, different time. The cool thing is as we follow Christ, as we grow closer to Christ, guess what? He takes those desires and he, he doesn't conform to our desires. We conform to his desires. So our desires become his desires. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's 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 awesome. But listen, if it's necessary, God will open up his tool belt. He will allow suffering. He will allow trials. He will allow tribulation to take place in our life. He's not concerned with what's easiest. He's not concerned with what's comfortable. He's concerned with what is going to produce growth in our lives, which with what is going to produce more reliance on Him. This is the God of Scripture. So let's talk about this test a little bit as we begin to move towards the end. Suffering here we see in these trials and these tribulations, they are often used to test a person's faith and to prove whether it's authentic or not, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Gold is pretty pure. Gold is is strong but even gold will perish one day. Maybe found the result in praise. So the end result of this is going to be praise. Because here's the thing, when we get into these trials and these sufferings, what we really rely on and what we put our faith in a lot of times is exposed, right? I mean, when we get into the thick of things, when, when everything's falling apart, a lot of times that's when it's really revealed what we trust in, who we trust in. And this is an opportunity for us to trust in God. This is an opportunity for God to come alongside us and to help us in this. So this is how this works. God being sovereign and allowing and ultimately working in these struggles and these sufferings, his whole design in this is to not produce a a follower of him that's just completely demoralized and beaten down and discouraged. It's actually to produce a, a a believer in him that is rejoicing. That's what he talks about. The, the hope of this is that you'll end up rejoicing. And, and this is how it works. These struggles come. These, these sufferings come. And you go through them. And guess what? As you're going through them, you trust in Christ. You trust that everything's going to be okay. We sang a song a while ago that talked about this. Because here's some good news. He talks about this even now for a little while. Guess what? Suffering is temporary. It's, it's short-term. When we talk about eternity, it's, it's short-term. Nobody 20,000 years from now is going to be sitting in glory thinking, oh man, I still can't get over that five-year period where I struggled. Cannot get over that. Man. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. It's to produce this rejoicing. So these struggles come and we, we trust in Christ. We trust in Jesus, And it gets tough and it gets tough and we feel like we're getting dog and we continue to trust in Christ and lean into Christ and rely on Christ. And guess what? The suffering departs. Now, I know some of you are in that suffering right now. You're in that struggle and you're hearing my voice. And you're thinking, I'm I don't see it coming. I cannot tell you how much I relate to you in some ways. We're all in places like that, but he brings us through those sufferings. He brings us through those struggles. And guess what we do? We look back on that time, and how do we feel about that time? How do we see that time? Is it negative? I don't know of any situation where God has brought someone through a struggle, and they've looked back on it, and they say, totally not worth it. Didn't do anything. Can't believe God did that. I'm ticked off. No, we look back on that time and we see the presence of God. We look back and we see what God was doing in there. We look back on that and we think, man, I was not alone in this struggle. This is an unbelievable truth that we see in our walk with Christ. So this person walks through this. And when we look back, when we get out on the other side, the result is praise. We're praising God for what he's what he's done for bringing us through that. We're glorifying God, we're honoring God. But ultimately, here's what's happening in those moments is we get to look at our faith. that has been given to us as a gift and we know it's real. We know it's real because we went through this trial, we went through this struggle and we continued to trust. Doesn't mean we trusted perfectly doesn't mean we didn't have moments where we stumbled and fell didn't mean we didn't have moments where we thought god where are you we just continued to trust remember our faith and trust is not measured in how much we have it's measured in who our trust is in and if all you have is a small shred of faith and trust in jesus christ that is more than you will ever ever need a good question to ask and a question that comes up often is, okay, so if lost people struggle and the saved struggle, why don't I just stay lost and struggle? At least then I can do what I want. Good question. So what's the difference between, the real difference between lost struggling and, and saved struggling? Well, I believe the answer for that is back in Romans 5, chapter 3, verse 5, because Paul does not just say rejoice in your suffering. If he would have said that, that would have been more confusing and more challenging than it already is, amen? I mean, that would have been really tough to grasp onto. But what does he say? No, he says rejoice in your suffering because suffering leads to endurance, and endurance leads to character. So the idea is this is suffering comes, And we do exactly what Paul teaches in Corinthians. We endure. I mean, we just dig our heels in and we continue to be obedient to Jesus and we continue to trust. And even though we wake up and the depression or the anxiety, whatever it is we're struggling, it's still there. We say, I'm not going to allow that. To get me off course, I'm going to continue to trust Jesus. I don't care what my feelings are. Goodness, I don't care what my feelings are. I'm going to continue to trust in Jesus. We endure. Guess what's going to happen? That's going to build an amount of character within you. Christian character. Someone of strong, maturing faith. Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to character. And where does character lead to? Hope. And listen to me. If if you do not have that relationship with Christ, where He is your Savior, where you are obediently living your life for Him, where you have a love, a genuine love for Him. Here's the difference between the struggle that you have and the struggle that a child of God has. You have absolutely no hope in your struggle. What you are experiencing now is as good as it's ever going to get. But listen to me, the good news is you don't have to stay there because do not hear me saying, listen, Join our team, surrender to Christ, and everything's going to be really good. All those struggles you used to face, you're not going to face them at all. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell that has led to a ton of people becoming absolutely overwhelmed and discouraged. Here's what I am telling you, though. In Christ, there is suffering. There is struggling. How could there not be? Christ went through. More suffering and more struggling than we can ever imagine. So, He can then offer us help with that. But in Christ, you will have suffering, you will have struggles, you will have trials, you will have tribulations. But here's the difference you're not going to go through those alone. You have a comforter now, you have a helper now. He brings you into a family of brothers and sisters that are struggling with the exact same thing, no matter what they say. I've said this before Christians, listen to me. We have to get past this idea of putting on this front of moralistic perfection and everything's great and I don't struggle. And man, every morning I wake up and I mean, everything is great. Man, God's good. Amen. We, we have to get past that. And in the right context, we have to be free to share our struggles with people. We have to have that transparency with people. I know your intentions might be good, but you're causing a lot of people to struggle even more than what they need to be struggling. Hope. That's the difference. You have hope. Hope in a living, risen Savior. Let me conclude. Let me just run through some of the things that we have went over this morning. Uh, We can go ahead and have our musicians come back on stage and prepare to close out, prepare to respond this morning. When we look at suffering, when we look at struggling, When we look at these things, we need to understand something. God is not absent in our suffering. God is not absent in our struggles. Listen, this is unbelievably good news. I mean, this is unbelievably good news that God is not absent. I know he feels like it sometimes. We feel like there's a distance between us and him, but understand something. God is very active. You know, you want one of the greatest things about God is he does not run away from our mess. He does not run away from your mess. No matter what mess you're in, He is not sitting back waiting for you to clean yourself up. God jumps directly in the mess. He comes alongside you. So no matter what you're struggling with, believers, I'm speaking specifically to you right now. No matter what you're struggling with, I don't care if it's the struggle of unbelief. I want you to understand something. Examine your heart. Don't automatically assume that this struggle with something like that, or maybe a struggle with assurance, don't automatically assume, well, that means I must not be saved. I must not be a Christian. Now, God might be bringing about some conviction on your life to reveal that you're really not, but here's what he might be doing. He might be using that as an opportunity for you to trust in him even greater. Maybe he's using it for an opportunity to provide you with comfort as he does. What a loving father that doesn't sit back and and wait for us to fix the situation ourselves. He comes in, comes alongside us, and he gives us comfort. He sends people to comfort us. He gives us the opportunity to join him and the opportunity for him to work in our lives and work through our lives to comfort other people. God uses this to produce reliance. He will use this to produce reliance on himself, not reliance on our own self. And the third thing, God can use struggling and suffering to prove just how genuine our faith is. And that 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 results in us celebrating. Here's what I love about God's relationship and God's involvement in our suffering. Only God could take something that on the surface is only negative, only harmful, can only hurt us. Only He could take something like that and use it for good. Only he could take something like that and use it for our growth and use it for our overall benefit. So listen, I, I don't know where you're at. I have no idea. I, I have no idea where you're at spiritually. I have no idea where you're at today, In the last five minutes, the last one minute. And I'm not even going to ask, you know, I'm not even going to say something like maybe there's someone here that's suffering and struggling because to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure there is. I want you to understand this. I want to close with this thought as we lead towards a moment of response. Suffering is not an opportunity for avoidance. And to be honest with you, I think that's what we do a lot of times. When suffering and struggling comes, our default, our knee-jerk reaction is to try to avoid it, to try to numb it out. Don't be quick to practice avoidance in this because when you try to avoid godly suffering, when you try to avoid godly struggles, here's what you're doing. You're robbing God of the opportunity to be God. You're robbing Him of the opportunity to jump into the mess of your life, of my life, and do work. The work that only He can do. Comforting, reliance, proven faith. I want you to imagine what would happen within your life, within our lives, as a people. If instead of avoiding these struggles and these sufferings, one, imagine what would happen if we begin to live lives, if we begin to live out our faith in a way where we really did begin to experience some of these struggles, where we really did begin to experience some of the suffering. Where the enemy really did have to start stepping in and say, Man, I got to do something about that guy. I got to do something about that girl. They, they, they keep telling people about Jesus. They keep praying for people. Goodness, if that guy disciples one more person, I swear. What if we were living our life out, our faith out like that, where we did begin to experience some of these things? Now imagine what would happen is, as we experience these things. Imagine what would happen as we begin to, to trust even deeper in Christ and trust in that living hope that we have in Him. When the suffering comes, when the struggling comes, don't check out. Please, you will be missing out on an opportunity to grow in Jesus Christ, to receive these gifts of grace that He gives us. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to know more about our relationship with Jesus or more about our church at Woodlawn, Please contact us by email at infofbcwoodlawn.org. At Please join us again next week for another sermon from First Baptist of Woodlawn.